Well, thank you for having me. Um, not exactly sure where to put this. I'll just toss it right over there. Let me just start out by apologizing on the front end. So uh, I've tried really hard for several years to pretend that I'm not from the Deep South, uh, but I am from Alabama. So if you hear like a y'all or just a, you know, a syllable that hasn't, you know, extra few seconds in the pronunciation, um, it's on me. I apologize. Um, I'm so grateful to be here with you. Um, this is a moment in our lives that we'll, we'll really never forget. Can everybody hear me? Okay, I was kind of standing back in there. I know there's some weird echoes. Okay, great. Such a strange moment in all of our lives. And uh, even this one particular moment, and I just, I want to say thank you. And I want to say that I really am honored to open up this book and hear this really old story, uh, the gospel of grace for sinners right here in this park in the middle of a pandemic with your earbuds and your iPhones, uh, because we need this story a lot. And we especially need it on Sunday mornings uh, when we're gathering in these kind of makeshift ways. So um, thank you for having me. As Michael mentioned, my name is Chase Dawes. I'm the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley and have been there for a handful of years now. I'm going to attempt to... uh, preach without my notes blowing everywhere, so we'll see how that goes. Let me um, go ahead and pray for us as we get started. Actually, I'm going to read our scripture and then pray before we dive in. We're going to be reading from uh, the uh, book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. Here's God's word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that uh, even as airplanes fly over and cars drive by and babies play and the wind blows, that uh, even now in this moment, you would meet us and that we would hear from you through your word. Uh, I do not presume that everybody in this park uh, is even a Christian, 
And I certainly don't presume that we all have, we're all healthy right now. We are, in fact, uh, feeble. And our faith, for many of us, feels fleeting. Um, No matter where we're at, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum of belief, Lord, it is not about us. It's not about the strength of our obedience. It's not about the strength of our emotional interest in even being here right now. It's about the strength of Jesus who has met us and will meet us now. And so we pray that you would lift us up by your spirit and fix our eyes on Jesus, our good shepherd, who loves us and leads us even in a pandemic. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Um, A few years ago, a software came out, uh, probably one of the first of its kind, uh, that was called Freedom. And here's here's the description of of freedom. Uh, Quote, freedom is a simple productivity application that locks you away from the internet on Mac or Windows computers for up to eight hours at a time. Freedom frees you from distractions, allowing you time to write, analyze, code, or create. Now, whether they knew it or not, the creators of freedom were actually uh, making a profound observation. And, uh, and here's what that observation is. Um, we don't need to be left to ourselves. We don't need to be left to ourselves. We need to follow something. We need boundaries. We need structure. We need direction. And I I, I see this playing out in in society today in many ways, and I'm not sure they can actually articulate this uh, impulse really, but as I talk to students at UC Berkeley, I find that underneath, uh, deep inside, they are kind of tired from being free to do whatever they want and to define themselves however they want. And the reason why is because it is exhausting and it's crippling. And recent studies have shown that this tyranny of autonomy and self-definition and individualism and authenticity um, is actually creating a mental health crisis of epic proportions. It reminds me uh, of the old tale, Alice in Wonderland, where Alice is walking down the road and she comes to a fork in the road and uh, there's a Cheshire cat up in the tree and she says, uh, which way should I go? And the cat says, well, where do you want to go? And she says, I don't know. And the cat responds, well, then it doesn't matter. And that's kind of the moment that we find ourselves in where when we look only inward for where we want to go, at the end of the day, it's just kind of a, uh, a coin toss, right? What 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 Alice needed, what we needed, what students need is we need a vision for how to live well from something outside of ourselves. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he realizes this need. He understands this need and his solution, his vision on how to live well is a life lived in obedience to Jesus. A life lived in obedience to Christ. And rather, somewhat surprisingly maybe for many of you, if you're new to the faith or exploring the faith or have 
bad ideas of what Christianity is about. Uh, Rather than this leading to the exhaustion of obeying some sort of invisible tyrant up in the clouds with a long beard, or rather than leading to some kind of crippling anxiety uh, of obeying the whims of our autonomy, which is what we're seeing today in a lot of ways, um, Paul actually argues that obedience to Christ leads to joy. To joy. Now, joy is different than happiness because happiness is always rooted in circumstances, but joy looks to Jesus. Joy has staying power. Joy is the kind of thing that gets moms out of the house on Sunday morning in the middle of a pandemic to hear this story once again because they're exhausted. My wife's at home with two little boys right now. So go moms. Um, uh, you're exhausted and yet you, you still kind of know like, I need to hear this. My children need to hear this. Our family needs to hear this. I need to see my friends. Joy's got some staying power. It's got some roots. So we're going to unpack this morning uh, this vision of joy and obedience to Christ. We're going to unpack that vision that Paul has for us. And the first thing that we need to look at is we need to look at the pattern of obedience. The pattern of obedience. Um, what does a life lived in obedience to Christ actually look like? That's, that's what this point is kind of answering. And, and Paul's answer is that it looks like Christ himself. Uh, Christ's obedience is the pattern of our obedience. And so what I want to do is, is highlight three aspects of Jesus's obedience and the pattern of, of his obedience. And the first thing that we're going to look at is that Jesus empties himself. He empties himself. Look at verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, just quickly, I want to comment uh, on, on verse 7 and this word emptied, that Jesus emptied himself. Uh, there's a lot of ink that has been spilt on this word. You can find tombs uh, uh, volumes on this word and what it means. And we certainly don't have time to go over all that right now. Um, and I definitely wouldn't want anybody to be confused by the echo that they hear throughout the trees there. But uh, just suffice to say, Uh, I want to just say this one thing. Uh, What this passage is not saying, what this passage is not saying is that Christ in the incarnation divests of his deity. Okay, it's not saying that he divests of his deity as though that uh, God ceased to be God for, you know, roughly 33 years that Jesus was on earth. But then when Jesus returned to heaven, God kind of magically appeared again, right? The world would have imploded. And so for the sake of time, I want you to think of that word this way, all right? This is not an emptying by subtraction. This is an emptying by addition. Jesus adding, Christ adding something to himself. So we see that qualified by the words that follow. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So in in other words, the second person of the Trinity empties himself 
by taking on a human nature in the person of Jesus. And that act is an act of self-denying, other-centered, eternal love for God's people. That act is a self-denying, other-centered act of eternal love for God's people. And that's the main point that Paul is trying to make here. This is not primarily about what theologians call the hypostatic union, about the two natures of Jesus. This is about the pattern of obedience we see in Christ becoming low by not leveraging or exploiting his status or his power, but denying himself in order to love his world. You know, so if, if, if I'm going to be a loving dad to my two little boys, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, at the end of the day, I have to enter their world. I have to enter their world. I have to get on the ground and roll around with them and play with them. I have to get on their level and play. And I don't cease being chased when I do that. But I do become a loving father when I empty my ego or whatever work has me doing that is so important, when I empty myself of that ego and I get in their world, that's how lives change. And that's what Jesus does. This is not an act of losing something. This is God's act of loving something. And that something is us. Uh, The the second aspect that I want us to look at quickly is that uh, Jesus serves He takes on the form of a servant. And to put it lightly, I find it interesting that the creator of the universe, who has all of the power in the world, and moreover is justified in whatever way he decides to use that power, he decides to use that power to serve. He decides to model for us and show us that the vision for a good life, for a full life, is a life of service to others. And that is a a powerful polemic in our culture today, that, that the one in charge becomes the one who serves, that the one who has all the power uses his power to empower other people. This is an incredibly radical vision of service. The third and last thing is that Jesus dies. Jesus dies. I want you to look at verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what I want you to see is that every ounce of Jesus's life, every ounce of his agency was directed towards loving others. It was used for the life of the world and not for his own interests, right? And so here... He pays the ultimate price. He gives the very last thing that he has. He gives his very last breath to pay a debt that we could not pay and to give us a life that we did not deserve. And here is the point and here's the pattern of what Paul's trying to say and what I'm trying to get across to you is that Jesus's entire life can be summed up by dying to himself 
to bring life to the world. What Paul is saying is that the pattern of obedience and the joy found in obedience starts with dying. Oddly enough, joy found in obedience starts with dying. You know, that's one of the great mysteries of Christianity, Christianity, that you must lose your life if you want to find it. You have to die to self. I remember uh, my first year as a campus minister um, was, was a difficult year. Uh, I mean, it was joyous in a lot of ways, but it was hard in a lot of ways too. It was right out of seminary. I was learning how to pastor. And uh, it wasn't uh, uncommon to you know, end large group on Tuesday nights or end the week and just think, I'm a loser. Like, I don't connect with any of these students. I don't have the right cultural uh, illustrations. There's just not enough overlap in us generationally, which is incredibly odd because I'm a millennial. They're Gen Zers. I feel like when I was in college, somebody 10 years older than me, there was still a lot of overlap. But thanks to technology, there's all these little technological worlds that we can't enter into. But anyways, I would just go home like every night thinking like, I'm just a loser. And I was telling my friend this, actually another pastor in the Bay Area, He's been here for a long time, and he said, uh, he said, Chase, loving is losing. Loving people is losing. And the, the point here is that the, the fullest lives die a thousand little deaths. The fullest lives die a thousand little deaths. So that's the pattern of obedience that we see in Philippians, of a dying to ourselves for the sake of our neighbors and for the sake of God's world. That's what it looks like. Okay, but what is the purpose in the end? Like, why do we need to do that stuff? Why are we doing this? Well, let's let's look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let me just give you the answer up front to to, uh, the purpose of obedience. Why are we doing this? Um, The purpose of obedience is that we become more and more like Christ. That's what theologians call sanctification. It's this lifelong process of becoming more like what we saw in point one, where we, we empty ourselves and we serve others, and we lose our lives for the life of the world. But what's interesting about how Paul is delivering that message here is the uniquely forceful language that he's using. And it may have caught your attention. Uh, Let's look at it again. Paul says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So let's start with fear and trembling kind of odd words when we think about um, faith in the good shepherd, faith in a loving God, faith in an incarnating God who meets us where we are, right? Whatever we say about these terms, fear and trembling, here, here's what I want you to know. If the purpose of obedience is becoming like Christ, Paul is using these words, um, Sorry, if the purpose of obedience is becoming like Christ, Paul is using these words to show us the importance 
of obedience. The, imp- the weightiness, the seriousness of it, the importance of becoming like Christ, because here's what these words mean at the end of the day. Our becoming like Christ is the only way to salvation. It is the only way to salvation, it is the only way to truly love God and love his world. Sometimes we can get a little uncomfortable with language this blunt, but let me be even more blunt. What Paul is saying is that anything that is not like Christ is condemned. It's condemned. That's why Paul is using this kind of language. And before I lose you, before you tune out because you think uh, this is the same old garbage we always hear with religion, uh, just scare people into obedience, coerce them, tell them about a big bad boogeyman that's going to punish them if they don't do everything that he tells them to do. Let me just put some flesh on this. Because the great irony here is that I believe when we get some flesh on what Paul's trying to say, is that this is actually answering the longings that we see manifesting in culture everywhere right now, especially over the past few months. Floyd, a few months ago, after the death of Breonna Taylor, after the death of Ahmad Arbery, the world was outraged. And uh, especially here in the Bay Area. I go to a church in Oakland, and right outside our church uh, building, every window on every block was broken. Cars were burned. Protests for justice were global. They went everywhere. They're still going on. And, and whether you agree with that version of protest is really beside the point that I'm trying to make here. Here's what I am trying to say. What we all saw on the news and just driving around, all the burning, all the breaking, all the cries, that pales in comparison to God's wrath towards racism. That pales in comparison. God hates racism. God hates the abuse and objectification of women. God hates the marginalization of the poor. God hates greed. God hates exploitation. God hates murder. And what Paul's trying to say is that God's going to do something about it. Anything that is not like Christ will face the justice of God. And that's why Paul's language is so forceful, because this is serious business and everybody knows that. It's interesting that we can cry out for justice in the streets. And then the moment that God says, yeah, you're right, justice, we're like, whoa, 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 that's oppressive and arcane. This should actually bring comfort in a lot of ways, because the the pain that we see in the world, the pain that you've experienced in your lives, God will do something about it and has done something about it in Jesus. I want you to just think of how much importance we give to so many things in our lives. Uh, uh, Just a few weeks ago, um, uh, we were at our house and our oldest son, Gabe, who's four years old, Alexa was playing uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And Gabe looks at uh, my wife, Holly, and he says, uh, is this song about God? And Holly says, yeah, yeah, it is. It's actually about how God loves us and um, he always has a plan for us. 
And Gabe looks at us and he says, I only have one plan. It's to find some gold. Um, I share that illustration because that's kind of how we're all wired. We know, we know he's got the, the vulnerability, the honesty to just be uh, true, authentic or whatever. Uh, but think about how much importance you give to your 401k. Think about how much importance you give to your career. Think about how much importance you give to your Instagram account and staying on brand, looking the right way, having the right body, being beautiful enough. Think about how much importance you give to your education, to your social status. Think about how much importance we give to what kind of carbonated water we drink. Are you a LaCroix person or are you a Topo Chico person? I'm a Topo Chico person. Um, Stuff is really good. If you haven't had it, try it. Um, But the point is, like, if God loves justice and he hates evil, how much more importance should we place on becoming like Christ in all things? The purpose of obedience is that shalom would reign throughout God's world, that peace would reign throughout God's world. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, if that wasn't enough, right? Paul uses some other language um, that's maybe even more troubling, right? Let's read it again. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, hopefully you hear great gospel messages here from Michael and whoever else is preaching routinely. And so some of you may be really confused right now because we're talking about the Apostle Paul. And if Paul is known for anything, it's for championing that salvation is through grace alone and not by works, not by stuff you do. So why is he using this language, work out, work out your salvation? Well, if I were to end the sermon right now without getting to these words, work out, this would not be a Christian sermon. Said the word Jesus a lot, talked about doing a lot of good things and the importance of doing a lot of good things, but it still wouldn't be a Christian sermon Uh, Because it would just be another demand for you to stop misbehaving. I don't know about you, that's never worked for me. It's never worked for me growing up, doesn't really work for me now. Uh, It would be another demand for you to straighten up your life and to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But I'm going to keep preaching. This sermon keeps going, not in spite of these words, but because of these words. Because this verse does not say, work for your salvation. This verse does not say, work toward your salvation. It does not say, work at your salvation. Paul says, work out your salvation. And what I want you to see here is that no one can work out what God has not already worked in. No one can work out a salvation that God has not already worked in. And that's why... These words bring us to the joy in obedience because they lead us to the promise of obedience. If I were you, if I'm being honest, and I, and I just listened to everything I said, I would be crushed. It would be too much. And the reason why is because I'm guilty. And I know that I'm guilty. And I know if I have even the slightest amount 
of self-awareness that no matter how much moral energy that I muster up, no matter how many hashtags I send out into the ether world, I will fail to live up to the very standard that I love to subject other people to every day, like clockwork. I will be guilty again and again and again. I will do the very thing that I hate again and again and again. And the reality is, is that I need more than just a pattern for obedience. I need more than just a moral example. This is what it should look like. I need more than just a purpose for obedience. We really need the world to be a great place. I need more than that. I need a promise for obedience. And the promise that I need is that I'm not left alone. I'm not left to myself to do this. The promise that I need is the promised one. I need Jesus. And that's what we get. That's what Paul gives us. Look at verse 13, right? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What Paul means, what this means is that God does not save you and then leave you to work on yourself by yourself. He doesn't save you and then say, obey, heal, sit, stand, jump, bark. He doesn't say that. God doesn't meet you halfway. God is not a God who helps those who helps themselves. What Paul is trying to say is that when God saves, it is total salvation. God saves the whole person. It is 100% God. And here's the beauty, right? The, the mystery Paul is unpacking is that when God saves, it is 100% God working on 100% of you. All of you. Which means your will, your emotions, your interests, and your work, your actions, and your energy, and what you do. And so that means that you became active and obedient in your walk with God. You became obedient not because of how good you are or how much you tried, but because of how gracious God is. This is the great mystery in Christianity that God makes you alive, makes you more human, more full. And so I I really want you to follow me. God saves you. He saves us, all of us, the whole person, the whole body, both to will and to work. He gives us new affections and new energy to walk in accordance with Christ. And he makes us alive to be obedient to the the beautiful vision of life that he's created for us. He makes us and guides us and leads us and comes behind us to walk in it, to love in that vision of life, to serve in that vision of life, to empty in that vision of life and to enjoy in that vision of life. So what does this mean for us and our call to be obedient and to follow Christ? Friends, I think this should change everything about how you view yourself. 
I think this should change everything about how you parent. I think this should change everything about how you repent, how you turn from your way and you follow God's way. This should, this should change everything about how you fail, how you think about your failure. This should change everything about how you think about your success. Because what this means is highs nor lows, whatever it is, it means that God is always at work. He's always at work. Every obedient act in your life is because of God's gracious work by His Spirit applying the life-giving good news of Jesus to your life, to your will, and to your work. Every awareness of your shortcomings, every time you realize you didn't do something right, it's because of God's gracious work because just a year ago or whenever it was, you didn't even notice that. But God's at work. He's changing your heart. He's giving you eyes to see. You see your brokenness because God has given you eyes to see it. You long to be made whole because God has given you those longings. And we, the church, we stumble and we trip and we wobble throughout this life in obedience to Christ because, listen to me, because in your weakness... Obeying God in your weakness, God's grace and God's promise glisten with strength. The promise of obedience is that we are not left to ourselves, but we have the promised one. He is the promise of obedience and he is the joy in obedience. You are not your own. But you belong both body and soul to the God who began a good work in you and he will certainly see it to completion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks. Um, We give you thanks for the model, the pattern that you give us on what a life well lived should look like. We give you thanks that you've given us a purpose for it and shown us the importance of it. Even as we sit in a world that is crying out to be made new, you have called us to be like Christ so that your peace, your shalom would reign in the world. But Lord, we give you thanks most of all that you've given us a promise in obedience because we know that we will fall short. We know that left to ourselves, we cannot muster up enough energy to obey you. And yet you've given us Jesus who's always at work in our hearts and in our lives and in our wills and in our work. And so we give you thanks for that. And we pray that this day and tomorrow and this week, even if it's slowly and hard to see, we pray that you would give us faith to trust in your work in our lives as you lead us in the way of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.